sense the peacefulness of the presence of the Lord. There is that today, don't you? Um, I, um, I wanted to make mention of something we had talked about just a little bit. Um, we have an election coming, and uh, I wanted to... Uh, Carol and I have found um, this one website very helpful. It's called electionforum.org, and, uh, and uh, California Voter Guide is on there, 2022. We found it to be helpful. Do your own research, but it's good to have some of the candidates vetted so you know what they, they believe, and sometimes you know, their ads don't give, it, give, you, give you what you need to uh, make decisions. So hope you will make sure that you put your two cents in by uh, voting as we come come to these things. Some of the, like the first, uh, I mean, we've got, a, we've got a change in California constitution to make abortion legal in the constitution until birth. And uh, the majority of people in, in the country do not agree with that. And, uh, but um, unfortunately, there's uh, not enough people who stand for life who will stand up and, and vote. And I, I'm, I'm praying that that will change. Okay, man. Um, a couple, before I get into our text this morning, um, a couple of Wednesdays ago, we had our t- time of worship and opportunity for people to share. And there's some great words that were given that, you know, the Lord was speaking through people. And, uh, and, and then on Sunday last week, we called for people that needed healing of some sort, whatever it was, to stand. And we're hear- hearing some wonderful stories. One of them was, um, was Francis Shegog, who was in pain at the time in her neck, in her shoulders, and uh, when she stood, it instantly left and has not returned. And I just believe that we're coming into, we're coming into a season. You know, churches go through seasons, and, uh, and the church goes through seasons. I mean, the church in America is in a, um, I, I think, um, a season of of, of change, and there's a dramatic amount of change going on, both positive and negative, in the church in America today. And in our church, there is some things that God is doing, and uh, there was a couple words given, and one of them, uh, Mark, uh, Mark uh, shared with us, he was, um, he, uh, Shipman gave us a uh, sent a text to us, and uh, and it was, and I'm only sharing it with you because this same kind of word has been being repeated as people have been getting words about our church, and um, in in one in one word he was referring to a word that was given by uh, Jen Bar- Baca during our our worship time that was really encouraging about what God is about to do, and then he was given a word that said this. Rack them up and knock them down. <laughs> like it's time, right? And then another word was given to uh, set the table and invite the guests. And didn't Jesus say that, right? 
he talked about the wedding feast where people were rejecting. He said, you can set, set the table. It was all ready to go. Go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. C compel them to come in. The table's set. It's ready. I believe that is where we are. This is a season for us as a church to know that God is actively working and to raise your expectation and raise your prayer expectancy. I, I, I think we need to, at th in this season, pray big prayers, powerful prayers. This is the time to do that. Don't be hindered by your doubt. Grab a hold of of what God has promised to do. We are in John chapter 5, verse 17. I'm kind of picking up from last week. And we're in one of the, a very difficult, challenging portion of Scripture. I'm telling you that in, in advance. Because as a pastor, as you're going through Scripture, um, some are more difficult to teach and make them understandable. This is not because it's not understandable, it's because of the importance of this text, the importance that we get it. And my you know, heart here is that I can explain it as well as possible for you to understand what is being said in this text. Not that many of you don't already understand, but hopefully we'll get more. So will you pray with me? And let's ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. What a privilege it is that we get to read it. And Lord, obey it. And we ask that you would help us this morning because, Lord, we want to understand it clearly so that we can say yes without hesitation to what you ask of us. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you remember, as we went through last week, for those of you who are here and haven't been around, or maybe you're new, uh, we've been going through the book of John, and in the book of John, we've been taking a look at who Jesus is as it's revealed in the book of John. John said he wrote it for the purpose that we would know that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, and that we would have salvation through his name. And we would know of our salvation because... We know who he is. Now, we, um, we looked last week at the fact that Jesus did this wonderful miracle at the Pool of Bethesda where there was a guy who was lame for 38 years. And Jesus comes to him. This guy doesn't come to Jesus. And Jesus speaks to him and asks him, hey, do you want to be healed? And, and, uh, and then heals him. And, uh, and the miracle happens, and then this guy goes, doesn't really know who, who it was that healed him, and he ends up um, being confronted by the religious leaders who asked why he was carrying his mat, you know, it, on the Sabbath, because he was healed on the Sabbath, intentional. Jesus did it intentionally. He healed on the Sabbath and then told the guy to pick up his mat. He wants to confront the religious leaders, because religious leaders... Basically, listen, people are prideful about their, um, their, their, their own righteousness at times. Sometimes people are prideful about their unrighteousness. It goes both ways. 
But Jesus was confronting this religious um, group in, the, in this. And so they, they say to him, why, why, why are you healing on the Sabbath? And, and Jesus is confronted. And Jesus says, well, my father has been working. John 5, 17 says, but Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I've been working. Now this really made him mad. This really ticked him off because he called God his father. And, um, and they, they don't seem to get it that he, where did he get this power to heal this guy? You know, they, they don't even process that. They, they funnel everything through their religious ideology and, um, and they're, they're not even asking the most important question, where did this power come from? And Jesus um, responds to them in, uh, in, in, in verse 18. He says, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he had not only spoke the, uh, broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And we see John is saying this, uh, that this is a confirmation. It's interesting that they recognize that Jesus was calling himself God. And yet so many don't understand that. Jesus didn't mince any words when he was saying that. He knew what it was, what it was to call God his father and what that meant in, uh, in, in the, in, in among the, those who understood what the Old Testament was saying about that. So then, verse 19, then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Now, what is we're going to see as we go through the rest of this text? It's really a proof text. It's a, it is a, Proof text about the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus truly is God. It is also reveals a lot of other things about who Jesus is and the nature of Jesus. It doesn't do it in story form. A lot of times, you know, we see Jesus do miracles and so forth, and it's kind of easier to preach. This is real doctrinal. This goes right step by step through this process. And I'm just going to tell you in it, in advance, that, um, that Jesus is proven. He's giving a testimony. This is a testimony that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God three, through three proofs or three testimonies. The first one is Jesus' miracles. Now, this will not come on the overhead, but if you want to write them down, there's three of them. Jesus' miracles is a proof Jesus does miracles, and so the power of that is coming from God. That's a testimony, one of three. The second one was John the Baptist, and his testimony is proof that Jesus is who he says he is and that he has come from God. And then the third one is the Old Testament scriptures. The scriptures prove that Jesus is who he says was. Now, that's what, Jesus, that's what we're going to read here is this proof in those three categories that is confronting the religious leaders of the day. And they, and they also confront us. It confronts the world that we live in as well. That, that you, you cannot ignore 
you can't ignore not only who Jesus says he is, but the proof that Jesus, who he said, says he is, is true. It's absolutely true. And that those who believe can have eternal life, and if you don't believe, you're condemned. You're condemned forever. And, and that, that is a clear statement in the scriptures. So, um, so Jesus, in verse 19, says that he doesn't do anything other than, uh, than what he sees the Father doing. And uh, he, he says, I, that I, can't, I can do nothing except what I see the Father doing. Now, that is not he's unable or has no power to do it. That's not the statement being made here. The statement is being made that he cannot, unless he goes against the Father's will and against really his own will, to do something outside of what the Father has, he sees the Father doing. That the Father operates and he operates underneath the authority of the Father intentionally. This is an intentional decision made by Jesus as a second person of the triune Godhead to submit himself to the Father. And we see that with more clarity in Philippians chapter 2 where it says he emptied himself. And and this is is helping us to process the idea of the incarnation. That means who Jesus is, how he became both man and God at the same time, which is mind-boggling. In, in concept, how can you, you can't really kind of fully get your, your head around what it means to be fully God and fully man as Jesus was. You know, the incarnation, there's a real mystery there. We just know it's true. But, um, but he's, he was 100% man and 100% God. And, and so, as you're, you know, he's going to reveal to us, he's helping us to understand what this is all about. And so he says, he, he doesn't do anything. That Everything he does is what the Father does. He sees the Father doing it. Now this practical application to us, that, that we, we could learn, all of us probably better, to look for what the Father is doing and jump in. To get the sense of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and say yes. Um, that, that was an intentional thing that, uh, that Jesus, you know, even as he grew up, he, you know, he's 12 years old and he says, I must be about my father's business. This is about my father's business and I'm going to do what my father has called me to do. At 12 years old, he was doing that. He was making decisions to see what the father was doing. And so you can't be too young to start that process in your life. And you cannot be too old to learn more about how to do that. Because I believe that sensitivity has to, has to grow in us. And it's a, it's, there's a maturing process to hearing the voice of God in our life. And, and I can tell you this. You learn or you hear the voice of God by listening. You cannot... You, you, that's how... Listening to the voice of God enhances your ability to hear the voice of God. And you listen to the voice of God first and foremost through this book. 
Because we know this book is inspired by God. God breathed. We know that this is God's word. And so when we're reading God's word, we're learning about God. But it's not the only way we hear God's voice. We hear God's voice as he would speak to our spirit as well. I would say this, that if you don't and you're not willing to learn God's voice through his book, you'll never have much clarity about hearing God's voice through the Spirit. You get first a clarity of the nature of God through the book. And then you're able to process as you're trying to hear in your spirit as God speaks to you. A lot of people have that backwards. And unfortunately, I think it's why there's so many false teaching and false prophecy and everything else that seems to come out so readily. It's because they didn't have their heart. The, the word of God didn't have their, their heart first. And then they're learning the process. You process what God is saying to you through the book. You test everything through the book. And so... Um, Excuse me. So he says in verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these. I love this. So that you may marvel. So you can have your jaws going to drop. Wow. And, and th- isn't that what happened? I mean, how many times those who are following Jesus. Jesus is doing these miracles. And I would like to think that he couldn't get rid of me after I saw that. that that's the way I, I would like to think of it. You know, if I was there and Jesus, was, and Jesus this, 30, this guy that's been lame for 38 years just rose, I'm, I'm, I'm on his heels. I mean, where is Jesus going? You can't get rid of me. You know, when he sends everybody away, I wouldn't leave. But I'm not sure that would be me in that time. I would hope it would be. I want it to be. I want to be that person now that I'm always that, you know, I'm always just right behind him. I'm getting, I'm getting my clothes dirty because he's, I'm, I'm right behind him, right in his heels. I want to learn what he has to say. I want to know what he's doing so that I can participate in what he's doing. Because when I hear his voice and move, good things happen. In fact, great things happen. So, he says, uh, in John chapter 6, I just want to jump over to the, ver- chap- the 16th chapter because of what is being said there. <clears throat> Jesus said this, in that day you will ask in my name. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God I came forth from the Father and have come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. Jesus is telling us, this is what you hear. In fact, Jesus himself said this. 
as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. This distinction that people make between the Father in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New is a complete fallacy. It's a complete fallacy. In fact, they haven't understood that Jesus was active in the Old Covenant just as much as in the New, and that the Father is fully active in the New Covenant, New Testament, as is Jesus. That what Jesus is doing is what the Father is doing. When Jesus healed that lame man, it was the Father healing that lame man. Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. He just entered in with what the Father is doing. And the Father gets such a bad rap because people don't understand what God is doing. His heart has never changed. He's always been this loving Father. And he, in fact, is loving. And, and as, Je as Jesus points out, listen, I don't need to pray for you on this. I mean, he forever makes intercession for us, and that's a whole other topic of talk, teaching. But, but he's saying, listen, you can go to the Father. When Jesus taught us to pray, what did he say? He didn't even say, hey, pray to me. He said, when you pray, here's the model, our Father who art in heaven. So our Father is incredibly loving and and powerful, and what Je Jesus and the Father are one. They, they're, they're united in one. Three personalities, one essence. See, when, when Jesus says, when, whatever I see the Father doing, I do, he can say that fully and completely. I don't think we can. I think we should, we're, we're learning, but I think we come short in that. Why? Well, Jesus never comes even a even slightly short. He does everything according to the will of the Father. Everything. Never misses. Because of who he is. Same essence. So, verse 21 says this of uh, chapter 5 again. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so the Son gives life to whomever he will. Well, you, you, wow, they're kind of alike. They have the same power. If you can give life, if you can raise from the dead, if you can give life, well, the fact is, if you can give life, then you're God. And he, so he says, um, <clears throat> for the Father judges no one and has committed all judgment to the Son. We'll stand before the 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 bema seat of, I mean the um, the judgment seat before Jesus that all should honor the son just as they honor the father and who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him so if you're honoring the father you're honoring the son if you're honoring the son you're honoring the father there's no distinction in that. There's a, there's a full unity. There's no competition, not even in the slightest amount in that. The father is overjoyed when the son is being glorified. The son is overjoyed when the Holy Spirit is being glorified. You see? When that's happening. 
we have this thing in our family. Um, we have all these grandchildren. And, uh, and I'm a good grandpa, I think. I was a good, I think I was a good dad. Loved all my kids. I think I love my grandkids. And my wife loves our grandkids. And our grandkids love my wife. I'm not saying they don't love me, but usually when I'm in the room and she is, I don't exist. And, uh, and sometimes I'm jealous, but, uh, you know, quite frankly, most of the time, I'm just happy that my kids, my grandkids um, are loved by my, my wife. You know, it's just great. They, they see grandma, and then every once in a while I'll say, hey, Papa's here, you know. Want to play catch? You know, kind of, kind of thing. And uh, we'll laugh about it. And uh, I'll tell, uh, I'll, uh, and Carol is like great at trying to build me up. Like she loves, she's, her, her love language is gifts. That's her love language. If you give her a gift or if she gives a gift, she feels love. She feels love. So she gives the kids gifts all the time. And they're always, I mean, it, even if it's the 99-cent store, she's going to find something to give to them. And that's just her nature. And she's always giving them gifts. And, and, um, and then she'll say to them this, this is from me and Papa. But they all know she bought the gift. <laughs> There's a great joy in the Godhead. When Jesus is honored, the Father loves it. When the Father is honored, the Holy Spirit loves that. There's no distinction in that love, that, that honor that is there. And so Jesus says, listen, if you honor, if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father, you're dishonoring either one of them. You're dishonoring that God. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death unto life. So, hearing God's word, believing in him who sent Jesus, we know the Father sent Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of God, the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now, most, um, most um, commentators on this believe that this is talking about spiritual life, that there's a distinction because we're going to look down a little bit further and we're going to talk about resurrection, that is, resurrected physical life. But this is resurrected, if you would, are bringing life out of death, spiritual life out of death. The Bible says we are all dead in trespasses and sins, but Jesus brings us life. Jesus brings us life. His death and burial and resurrection saves us from our sin and brings us life. And this is why, because of, of this one word, he says, um, 
and says, most assuredly, verse 25, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. So it's not, this is not talking about future resurrection, though he's going to in a minute. This is talking about the hour is coming and now is. Now is the time. And we're in that time. When can life, when does Jesus bring life? Now. Now. To anyone. Anyone who would receive him, anyone who would believe upon him and receive the sacrifice he made for us, that we would receive life. And those who have experienced that know this. It's supernatural. It's not just some kind of natural belief system that kind of changes our thinking. It's much more than that. It's spiritual resurrection. See, we, as Christians, we, we get baptized after we have been spiritually raised as a symbol of our death, burial, and resurrection. Because that's what happened to us in our union with Christ, our death, burial, and resurrection. And now we have life. John had said that he wrote this book so that we could know that we have eternal life. God doesn't want us to have to wait to find out Maybe, hopefully, we're going to have eternal life. God actually gives us eternal life now so that we can know we have it. It's not something we're going to get, but when you receive Christ, you actually have eternal life now dwelling in you. You are alive, and you will never die. And that's what Jesus said. You know, he who believes in me, he said, will never die. Okay, Obviously, he's talking about spiritual life. You, you already have eternal life, and you're never going to die. You'll have a relocation at some point. But you're never, ever, you already have eternal life. You're not waiting for it. You're living in it. Some of us not living in it to the degree that we could in our understanding and in our boldness and the, way that, and the way in which we choose to follow after Christ. So, he says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. See, this is where we get life. If it's in him and he's in us, we have eternal life. And has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Then he says, do not marvel at this. It's kind of miraculous, kind of marvelous. But he says, don't marvel. Calm down about it. This is easy to accept. Don't marvel at this. For the hour is coming, which all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth. There's something. That's amazing. You don't have to marvel at it because it is a reality that has to take place. 
because the son has this power. So he says, the hour is coming, which all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth. Then he asks that those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. See, there's a resurrection coming. And, and I believe this is, in fact, the general resurrection. And because it's the voice of God speaking, the scripture says the voice of archangel and the voice of God pro- proclaims, shout, this shout that people call the rapture of the church is a resurrection both of the living and, and the dead. But the dead who rise are not just those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ resurrect first, the Bible says. But there is a resurrection of judgment that is also coming. A resurrection of condemnation. So, he says, I, I, I can of myself do nothing as I hear. I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own who uh, my, seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And that should be all of our statement of faith. I seek the will of the Father. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. If all I am giving is what I say, and, and they, would, they would agree with that. They would say, well, who are you to give witness of yourself? Anybody can give witness of themselves. Anybody can say, I'm, you know, whatever you want to say. I'm from God. I'm a prophet of God. I'm a great man of God, a woman of God, whatever it is. You, anybody can say that. He says, there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now, remember the three things I said at the beginning were the witness that supported the truth of who Jesus is? He starts off, and notice this. He says, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. He's borne witness to the truth. There, there's a, 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 a story in the scriptures in Luke 20 where Jesus is in the temple area and he's preaching. And the religious leaders, the, the high priest, the other religious leaders come and they say to him, who gives you authority to, to do what you do, what you're doing? Where's your authority for this? And, uh, and Jesus says, Well, let me ask you one question uh, first. If you answer my question, I'll answer yours. Was John's ministry from heaven or from man? And now they're thinking. And they think, if we say from heaven, then he says, why won't you believe him? Because John spoke about Jesus. And if we say from men... All the people are going to stone us because they know, they believe, the whole country believes John's ministry was from God. And they're stuck. And the only thing they can say is we can't tell. They, they, they're, they're, 
Why? Because there was a witness that the whole nation knew about from John. John was spoke about in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. The Bible spoke about John. And when John came on the scene, as that voice, that heralder for, for the Messiah, he spoke of Jesus. He said of Jesus, you know, I don't have, I'm not worthy. What, what we're seeing is that God set this all up so that there would be no question when Jesus came on the scene, if someone was honest, intellectually honest, religiously honest, there'd be no question who Jesus was. Everybody would know. And so he says, yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. I'm telling you. You know, it's not a, I don't need even John's testimony, but it is a testimony that you agreed to, you believe. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to, for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than John's. For the, here's, everybody say works. Works. So we have who first? John. Everybody say John. I just want you to remember these three. We have John's witness. Now we have works. He says, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. What are the works? All the miracles he did. All the things that Jesus has done is proof and should be proof enough for anybody who's walking around and seeing Jesus do these miracles. And so... He says, the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. So he's testifying by doing these works through me. I have the Father's testimony. I have John's testimony. But you do not have his word abiding in you. Now, these people were diligent searchers. Look at what it says. Just, let me go further. Because whom he sent him, you do not believe. You search the scripture. Now, the word search here is like, it's an interesting word because it's like uh, used as a, a lion prowling for its prey. This is, you search. This is, these are diligent searchers. And you say, well, isn't that a good thing? Yes, it is. It, it's, it's really a good thing as long as you let the scriptures direct you. If you follow the scriptures, not search the scriptures to support what you already think you believe. The scriptures have to guide you into truth not you guide the scriptures into truth. And so they had a preconceived idea that they only funneled as they searched the scriptures to find what they wanted and they didn't want Jesus. So you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they that testify of me. So why do you search the scriptures? Well, they say the scriptures are the most important thing. You hear that. You hear people say that. 
It's the most important thing. But they testify of Jesus. Now, our biggest problem today is a little different. Our cultural problem today is we have progressive churches that say that they believe in the inspiration of Scripture. In some ways, it goes along the same way. They'll say, I, we believe in the inspiration of Scriptures, but then if you just take their word at it and don't do the research, what you'll find if you do the research is what they mean by inspiration is not that every word of the Bible is God-breathed. They mean that the Bible can be inspiring, just like a good novel. You know, a, a good book can be inspiring, but that does not mean it's inspired. And progressives operate with their own interpretation of what God is like, and usually it's kind of like a mild teddy bear, you know, kind of God fit, fits their, 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 um, their view of what God should be. And so they only take things out of the scripture that supports their view and leaves a whole lot of scripture out because they do not believe that every word is inspired by God. And, and, and this progressive form of Christianity, which unfortunately has gotten into the church. And many even, it takes a while. Some of these churches, leaders have changed in process. Well, the church doesn't even recognize the change until later. And we've got stories. We have people in our church who have family members that have been part of these kind of churches that they were, they, they were going one direction right and then somewhere along the line, they changed. The leadership changed. And now the pe then the people start to get, uh, they get, get taught in such a way that it just kind of accepts it because they're using a lot of the same language and don't realize that what has really happened is they've undermined the scriptures. And Jesus is saying this, the way you know me is from the scriptures. The way you know, one of the main reasons why you can trust that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, that I am the savior of the world, is because of the scriptures themselves. The, the testimony of the word of God. He says, they, they said, he says here, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You've already process this and you're not coming to me that you could have life even though the scriptures tell you of me and he goes on to say I do not receive honor from men I, I know you but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you and have come in my father's name and you do not receive me if anyone comes in his own name him you will receive now it's interesting because this is still true of the Jews in Israel, much of the Jews in Judaism in Israel today. It's still there. And as much as I love the Jewish people and the love, love the Jewish nation and, and pray for it, that nation, because someday there will be a revival, the fact is that they're still in darkness. They're still professing the old covenant 
as being true and yet don't see Jesus who is through the entire old covenant. He's, from beginning to end, it's all Jesus. And he said, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, and whom you trust. So those of you who are holding on to the old covenant, he says, Moses is accusing you. And in two ways, Moses is accusing. One is that the law, the law is in fact bringing accusation against you, and you cannot deal with that because you don't live it. And you can't, and you need a Savior. And the other way that the law that Moses is accusing is that Moses prophesied of me. He said I was coming. And so you rejecting me, you are re- Moses is accusing you because you're rejecting me. I, I love the story of Abraham and the rich man. It, it's what it teaches, and, and it's a sad story. Because there is this rich man that goes to the holding place and he's being tormented after his death. And he asks for Abraham to, you know, to, to bring some water to his lips. And it really gives a picture of what torment is. And, and, uh, and then he says to Abraham, he says, would you send someone back to tell my, my family so that they don't come to this horrible place. And Abraham's words are, if, if you don't believe Moses and the prophets, if, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe one who's risen from the dead. And that was absolutely true, right? They didn't believe Moses and the prophets And when Jesus rose from the dead, they didn't believe him either. What does it take for someone to believe? It does take a willing heart that wants God. Say, well, all don't want God. But his gospel opens up that reality to people's hearts. It is a supernatural work of God. Not that God regenerates us before he saves us. I don't believe that. But I do believe it's a convicting work of the Holy Spirit that touches our hearts and the choice is still ours. And the answer is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 46 says, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? If you undermine the scripture, you're in a dangerous place because the scripture teaches us the truth. It teaches us the truth. I kind of want to close with a little application. We've looked at a lot of doctrinal things here that are really important. They're essential. You don't believe that Jesus is God, you have a real problem. You have a problem because where do you get your salvation? Jesus, the true Jesus, the one who saves us from our sin, 
is the one who is equal, co-equal with the Father. He has from eternity and has created all things. John, for the, these five chapters, he's just been talking over and over again about the nature of Jesus Christ. So where do you go? There's no place to go. You either believe what the scriptures say about Jesus. And, that, and, and what it says about Jesus can only be understood by revelation it cannot be understood by head knowledge. You, you know that. It doesn't make sense. You know, someone stand, anyone stands up and says, I'm God. I mean, what do you want to do? You want to go, you really need to take your medication. <laughs> you, really need, you really need help. Right? They're standing up. There's something, some, you, you would, where, that's where you go naturally. Naturally to believe that someone, but that some, same someone is now healing the sick and doing miracles and raising dead people. That same someone has been prophesied and he happens to show up just at the right time that the Bible says would happen and he happens to die the same way that the Bible says in advance would happen. And for the sins of the people, not for himself. I mean, so much of what the scriptures say about Jesus. Now you still have this dilemma that here is a human being saying they're God, but you have proof that there's no other answer because if Jesus is not God, then he is in fact an idolater himself. He is in fact a false God who is proclaiming himself and receiving worship because he did receive worship. So he is either the most amazing savior or he's the most evil person who has ever lived on earth. You have to make that choice. I, I think, I think, kind of, you lean toward he's the same. I mean, there's not much else you can go with in that. So, here's the application in our life. Jesus, you are Lord, and I choose to follow you. 100% with all of my life. That's my choice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with us. Let's respond in worship this morning. You gave your life for mine. Nailed to the cross, you crucified all my sin and 
Oh, I lift my hands up, lay my 
lift my hands up, lay my whole life down, my whole life now is for you. Oh, praise to the Lord most high. Oh, praise to the one who saved my life. Oh, praise to Jesus Christ, my King of heaven, my King forever. To the Lord Most High, all praise to the One who saved my life. All praise to Jesus Christ, my King of Heaven, my King forever.